97% of us find it impossible to make full-time work work alongside having children. No great surprise if you've had kids because we know it's kind of it's a full-time job on its own. But the number still shouldn't be that high. 20% leave the industry straight away and then another 57% end up leaving kind of in the years after because we just make it so impossible. And the bit that distresses me the most is that the top two reasons for leaving are poor mental health or redundancy. So even when we're trying to make it work, like it's still just everything kind of conspires against us and it's just not okay. Welcome to Jobs for Women, a podcast and community where we help you navigate work life and get the salary that you deserve. We bring you raw conversations with real women overcoming challenges at work and dominating in their field. Expect expert advice, solutions-driven content and access to our free members club. We are not just talking change, we are making it happen and I'm so happy that you are here. So welcome to another episode of the Jobs for Women podcast. I'm very excited to welcome this week's guest. We have Jess Egren, the CEO of Careers After Babies. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. I can't hear you. <laughs> Can you hear me now? I don't know why I can't hear you. Oh, I see. It's flipping Google Meet. Can you hear me now? Oh, it's because I, t- oh my God, I'm having one of them days. I turn my notification and my sound down. I'm so sorry. Right, I'm going to go again. Ready? I'm so sorry, Jess. It's one of them, honestly. Anyway, is what it is. We're all human. Okay. So welcome to another episode of the Jobs for Women podcast. I'm very excited to welcome this week's guest. We have Jess Hegren, the Careers After Babies founder. I'm so excited to welcome you, Jess. Welcome to Jobs for Women. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And we had a podcast scheduled ages ago, didn't we? And story of my life, the juggle is real, spinning a million plates. I finally got back in touch with Jess and said, please forgive me, can we record now? Um, But I think the timing is brilliant, isn't it? Because you have got so much happening with Careers After Babies and I can't wait to find out more about what you're up to. So talk to us, what is Careers After Babies? So Careers After Babies is, we are leading the movement to create a world-class cohort of employers of working parents through our uniquely transformative accreditation. That sounds good, doesn't it? (laughs) <laughs> I delivered that line at the end of a talk I was doing the other week and completely fluffed it. I was just like, you've just done a 25 minute talk to this massive audience at Google HQ and you fluffed your line about what your company is. But no, nerd it today. So yes, Careers After Babies is all about making really family friend employers and we're doing that through our accreditation process. I I love that and also I love your honesty about fluffing it because I've had I think it was my third take starting this podcast and I've done really rookie things like turning my volume down I can't hear you but I love it because um I feel like in my early career I was such a everything needs to be perfect and I need to say yes to every opportunity and I need to be a yes person um so I love that. I love that. And how great that you were um, delivering that um, in such a, a massive organisation. So how how did the accreditation come about? 
Oh, do you know what? We need to go back a few steps. So I, it's been, it's kind of been the product of, well, just another step in a very long journey. I think it's probably the easiest thing to say. So I'm going to take you back to I was my last in my last employed role. I was director of strategy and distribution for one of the UK's largest insurance companies, and I had um, moved up very quickly through that organisation. So I was a director at quite a young age. I was one of very few females, and I. Yeah, it was an interesting world to be in. It was insurance, so which I know people say oh, it's really boring. Actually, the work that I did was very exciting. <laughs> but it was. I know what people think, but it was. It it really met the kind of stereotype of what that industry is like. So I was literally surrounded by men all day long. Uh, everyone was so much older than me. Kind of, it was quite a tricky place to be. And there's one particular day I took our um, our strategy, as it was then, up to the public-facing board. And whilst I was in there, one of the guys said to me, oh, tell us, Jess, what's it like to be a young, talented female in our business? And I was like, do you want me to answer this question honestly? <laughs> I can do one thing, it's honesty. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. At which point my boss is just like, oh, my God, what's she going to say? Um, and I basically said to him, look, I'm surrounded by men all day. I've got no friends at work. And... I want a baby at some point in the next couple of years. And when I look around, I just don't see how that works. Um, obviously, there was lots of shuffling of papers and lots of conversation. But the byproduct of that was that I was asked to set up the diversity and inclusion committees. That was like one of the first of its kind like about 10 years ago or so. Um, and I led the gender and working family strand. And um, that was great whilst I was employed. Fast forward a couple of years, I had my first of four children. So she's, my eldest has just been nine. So yeah, quite a while ago now. And I only took a five month maternity break because I didn't want a guy to come in, cover my role and take my job. Um, needless to say, it wasn't long enough. Um, I wasn't in a great place when I went back. I wasn't ready emotionally, hormonally, physically. Um, and what it meant was that when I was actually back in work, I was just really, really sad and unhappy. There was lots of kind of tears on the way home. Um, I didn't really tell anyone because I was surrounded by guys all the time and I didn't want to be, you know, the weeping woman in the corner kind of complaining that she wasn't with her baby. Um, so I stayed for a few months. Then I had this bright idea that I should just say to my husband, oh, well, we'll just have a second baby and then I can take a year off and then I don't need to worry about any of this stuff. Um, and that's what we did. And I completely quit at that point. So that was about six, seven years ago. Then I um, started up a my first business, which was a platform to help mums um, find parts of flexible work, which we've talked about. Uh, that ran for a while. I launched mine two weeks before COVID. So that worst possible timing in the whole world. Um, really not that great. Um, and I very quickly, I think, realised that um, recruitment job hunting was not a, a natural home for me should we say I think it was kind of too big a change from where I'd been before so I naturally sort of got more working with organizations on what a good mat leave looks like what a good return looks like and kind of helping more with what I knew I guess which is that sort of business change how do businesses sort of be better um then last summer I was invited up to if you come across the APPGs those all parliamentary groups no, there are, there are, I don't know, there's like 60 of them or something, all with different themes. And one of them is themed women. And I was going up there and I wanted to take with me the stats around what I saw happening with the number of women who have to have a complete career change after they have kids because the workplace can't accommodate them. 
So I put out this survey thinking I'd get like 100 responses. And within two weeks, I had more than 800 women come back and say, this is my story. And as I was reading through the responses, A, there was a lot of tears because I just couldn't believe what women were still going through. And B, I just was shocked all over again. I just thought, my God, like I knew it happened to me and I knew it happened to my friend who used to be marketing director of one of the biggest alcohol brands in the UK and now works in Majestic two days a week. And I knew, you know, I had a friend who was an ex-finance director who's now, you know, not doing, oh, she, in fact, no, she makes bags now and sells them on Etsy. Not that there's anything wrong with any of these jobs at all, but what makes me really cross is the, you know, falling out of you that you spent all of these years invested it in working to get to where you got to, to then have a child and have to completely fall out. Anyway, it's the magnitude of it was just really shocking to me. So I blocked out six weeks last year, analysed all the data, wrote the report, published that in January this year. And the report was called Careers After Babies, The Uncomfortable Truth. Um, and I published that in January and it went viral on LinkedIn, which was both shocking and wonderful <laughs> in equal measure. And I think that's probably how you and I kind of first got in touch, actually. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so I started, I, I think what I what I really surprised me in the reaction to that was the number of organisations that got in touch with me kind of saying, Jess, these stats are like, awful, they're dreadful, what can we do about it? So I quite quickly started to um, interview them, if you like, to see what the good ones were doing and what common attributes they shared and kind of link that back to the findings of the report. And so I came up with this framework for what good looks like. So we looked through sort of three lenses, one of policy, one of process and one of practice. The last one being the most important thing, because lots of organisations have great policies and say, brilliant, that tick in the box, we're working. Actually, it's all the other stuff that really, really matters. You know, you can have the best policies in the world, but if your people aren't behaving in a kind of nurturing, supportive way, then it doesn't make any difference. Um, and then I built the accreditation around that framework. So organisations can basically come to us and we, we measure where they are against that framework at the minute. And then we report back to them and say, look, this is how your organization's doing. And then we sit down together and we do a roadmap to accreditation. So we say, right, how are we going to get you to becoming careers after babies accredited? Um, how and over whatever timeline that takes. So that was possibly like the longest answer ever to your question that you've just asked. Oh, yeah. Um, there was so much in that. When you were sharing your story when you had your first baby, I felt. I felt emotional like mm. when you said you went back after five months because you didn't want a man to take the role like my heart that 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 in itself is 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 so shocking but I guess a lot of people listening will be able to you know feel that connection to what you've been through and might have experienced it themselves or I can relate in a way of having before I decided I wanted to have children I remember having all the feels like what will happen if my mat cover is better than me? What will happen if I can't afford, uh, you know, the childcare? And I worried so much beforehand. So even people listening that don't have children, I think this is a really interesting conversation. Um, so I'm sorry that you went back at five at five months, but look, every, I think I feel like everything you've gone through has led you to this this point. <laughs> Yeah, it absolutely has. And I was saying to you just now, you know, I had my my first business, which I guess is a is a failed business now. But what you learn along the way is just is massive. And I I posted on this the other day, I think, but that 
when you're if you're in the fortunate position that you're able to work by something that you're really inspired by and really passionate about I feel like some of these words are really overused now but this is genuinely something that I completely utterly believe in like I I my whole raison d'etre is about changing the workplace for women so that we can have and men so that a couple can decide to have a family and not stress about them not being able to afford it and not be not being able to do that but it's the stat is about 84 percent of people will have children that 84 percent. so for the majority of people they'll decide to do it and actually i bet that number would be higher if if things were easier and people had that security that they would be able to go back after go back to work after having kids and carry on earning money and fulfilling their potential like we're we live in a world today where that shouldn't be impossible and actually it's all it's all really doable and lots of organizations do it really well it's just it's just choices that we make just driven by ridiculous outdated modes of yeah um, i remember for me as well it was like the lack of role models i worked in like pr and marketing and in media and tv and film and there was a lot of women there was not a lot of women with kids and i remember yeah. thinking where where and the ones that had kids just worked every hour under the sun and there was literally nobody that i could look up to and think they've made this work and i i was always of that mindset that i would leave and i did leave i had my first child and i left we left london but I gave up my career, so I'm one of the statistics, I guess. You absolutely are, and so many of us are. The, the, the headline stats that that showed was that 87% of us find it impossible to make full-time work work alongside having children. No great surprise if you've had kids, because we know it's, kind of, it's a full-time job on its own. But the number still shouldn't be that high. 20% leave the industry straight away, and then another 57% end up leaving kind of in the years after because we just make it so impossible. And the bit that distresses me the most is that the top two reasons for leaving are poor mental health or redundancy. So even when we're trying to make it work, like it's still just everything kind of conspires against us. And it's just not okay. No, it's absolutely not okay. So so the companies that are getting accredited, hmm. um, so when they so they get they get an action plan. Of, of things that you recommend that they can implement what what give us an idea of what things um you know for the people listening that they can either look out for in policies at work or ask hr about because I, I do think a lot of what we talk about at jobs for women is using your voice and empowering yourself to it's okay to ask what is your maternity policy like well, do you what know what if everyone listening to your podcast goes back and asks one thing, like, can you go back to your HR department and say, why don't careers after babies accredited? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, no, so things you can look out for. So maternity policy is absolutely one. Flexible working policy is another. For me, there's a big thing for organisations sharing those publicly. So you should have, you should be able to have access to those before you join an organisation. Why wait until we get into an organisation for us to then find out what those things are? That doesn't help us plan our lives in any way. And actually, one of the um, organisations I've been talking to recently have noticed they have a massive drop off in women between the age of 28 and 33 because what they found was they were like, oh, you know, we do a great job of retaining our working mums. But when they look back at that group, it's because everybody that was already looking at their policies was like, well, I'm not going to have a baby here because all your, um, your policies are rubbish. But like I said, the focus is too much on policies. Yes, all those things need to be in place. What matters is how well they support 
women coming back from maternity and men and secondary partners coming back from shared parental as well it's absolutely massive so the early research coming out of australia is showing that people who take that extended period are facing the same issues that mums are returning from work so you'd be looking for things like um how do they reinduct you back into your role how do they retrain you back into the role what do they do with the person that covered you know is it always a fixed time contract where they move on i think that's another big thing we experience do they do their absolute utmost to put you back into the role that you left behind, not move you to another team? So another one of the stats that came out was 79% of women left within two years when they were moved to a different team, which is often driven by them saying, oh, well, we can't make this role flexible, but, you know, we'll put you over in this dusty bit over here that no one really cares about. Um, the other one, how do they support you from a confidence and a nurture perspective? So actually, is there coaching available? You know, have you got places where you can go? Is there a women or family network that you can go to connect to other parents to find out how they're managing? Another thing I always say to look out for is internal comms. Are people talking about their families, how they're juggling, how they're managing life? You know, for you to be able to see leaders in the business dealing with the same challenges that you face is absolutely massive they're just a couple of examples of, of of types of things that we have in the accreditation so really um day-to-day -day things that matter and make the difference so like we've talked about you know being able to see people going through the same things you are yeah which is so important because if you're looking especially at that age bracket that you talked about was it 28 to 32 i know and me and my mates used to talk about this like right okay let's think about it um i'm this age i want kids maybe in a few years do i jump ship now and go for another look for a company that has a good policy we've all done it or loads of my mates used to do that and we used to almost forward plan and it's funny because when i spoke to my husband about that he was like well i and i said of course you didn't have to think about that it seems to be that it's obviously us that's taking that time out in our career and we have to think about these things. So I guess a good company, what's classed as good, would be one that has that transparency where you can find out the information before. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you should get a feel for that quite quickly. I know there's always one of the questions you probably get asked this as well. One of the questions I used to get asked all the time is at what point do I ask for flexibility? For me, a good company with a genuine flexible working culture they'll be having that conversation with you anyway. And if you feel like you need to keep it a secret till the end, and even then it becomes a sticky conversation, I would question whether that organisation kind of really has it nailed. I think one of the most common issues that I see across all the organisations that I talk to is inconsistency in line management. So how often do you and your friends, and me and my friends do this too, have someone say, oh, well, I was really lucky because I had a good manager that's not good enough that is not a good enough answer from an organization it needs to be that this is what's acceptable in this business and that's you know and we're able to honor that so yes flexible working is available yes you know you can take the time off that you want or that you're allowed to yes we've equalized our shared parental leave because we see that it is an equality thing between men and women and women shouldn't always have to be taking the hit you know all of these things really matter and are really indicative to like we said a good business a careers after work who's accredited business <laughs> yeah um, and also what came up on another podcast was um companies making sure that they're managing you know um the with the 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 situation room with shared parental leave so men being able to take it i know my husband couldn't when we had our two kids and what came up was having to support 
men in that process. So if they work in a, a particularly bro culture organization where it's not been the norm, how they are uh, treated if they put in a request to, to have six months off to, to share that parental leave. Does that come up at all with organizations um, yeah. that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. And what you tend to see with men, this came out of my research and it's showing up in the National Shared Parental Leave Uptake Research, is that men tend not to ask for it or tend not to do it until they see a senior member of the organisation take it. So there is a well-known financial services company who equalised shared parental leave and they saw hardly any uptake from men until one of their senior managers did it. They told everyone about it. It was like a domino effect. Then they had something like a 96% uptake. So there's, I quite often talk about this, and it's, I, don't, I don't mean to stereotype at all, but just typically, men under 40 expect to play a different role in their kids' lives. So, you know, they want to be there. They want to do pickups. They see things. I think things feel a bit more equal you know, they're, they're happy to do school drop-offs. It's a generational thing, whereas that older group definitely don't. And at the minute, we still have that, quite often that sort of senior tranche of leaders fall into that older age bracket. So it's a bit more unusual. But one of the other, it's another great question to ask of a business, actually, if you're looking for a job, you know, what sort of uptake have you had in shared parental leave? Is it equalised? Because for me, it's another indicator as to how, how did the organisation see this issue do they see it as an issue are they willing to completely reset the playing field for men and women by committing to something like shared parental leave and that's fascinating that that, that financial example that you just gave and it makes total sense and it um it just um shows that we need that role model we need to physically see it in action also there must be that fear factor oh god you know can i ask for six months off as, as a man where historically like you know when I think back to my dad, like I was chatting to my mum the other day about, oh, the kids, the juggle and my husband working away. And she was like, your father never picked you up from school. And I said, hang on a minute. Can I? Why? And she was just like, he just didn't. He worked. Yeah. And I said, but you were a full time nurse. You were working. You worked seven days on and shifts and nights. And she was like, I know. And I said, that's what I can't get my head around. And it's I'm so glad that we're in a place where we're starting to see change. But we've still got such a long way to go, haven't we? We've still got a long way to go. And for whatever reason, men seem to follow the pack a bit more and they need to see more of those examples. Again, it's a big thing we say to organisations, you know, if you have someone taking share parental leave, tell everyone about it, like share it, because it's that's the thing that, that makes the difference. It's almost like when a senior leader does something, it gives the rest of the organisation licence to do it too. Actually, when people roll out a new benefit or a new feature or something it's not until people kind of start using it and, and make it okay and make it acceptable I always do you know what there's this great example actually so I went to we used to have a um oh what's it called like a dress down Friday type thing in the organization yeah. we worked for and I went in one Friday and I had like a jumper with loads of balls in it you know that was like the, the style yeah. of so it was almost like a loose crochet pattern and I wore it in on a Friday and we, I was going to a board meeting and my boss stopped me before I went into the room and went, well, is that what you're wearing? Like, have you not got, have you not got another top? And I was just like, it's just on Friday that you can, you can wear what you want. You're rolling casual stuff. And he was like, yeah, I know, but you know, you're, you're coming to the next co-meeting. For me, that's like literally the perfect example of you're saying one thing, but you don't really mean it because it's not acceptable at this level. And if that's the type of 
kind of the showboating I suppose that you want to do it's it's not it's not genuine that you know the the feeling is not there behind it and that very very quickly gets uncovered I told everyone that story literally everybody I met <laughs> because, because it just it wasn't real I, I've had loads of chats about the whole appearance thing and men commenting on women's appearance. I had Natalie Potts, who I interviewed, who's a, like a business strategist, said that she was like she'd gone all the way through um, like an interview process to get like senior, senior position. And it was a woman that commented when she came on the Zoom or whatever it was that she had a floral dress on. And she was like, it was a summer's day. I had a floral dress on. But when we talked about the very fact that, A, it had even been commented on, like, oh, my God, in a professional situation. And your example, it's like, it's dressed down Friday for crying out loud. Like, what is what, going it, on? It wasn't, it wasn't revealing. It's like there was no cleavage. Obviously, I had a big top on underneath. It's just the fact <laughs> it was a holy jumper, you know? And you're like, am I actually having this conversation? I was, I was, like a, I was a senior director myself at that point, and it was just... It was just frowned upon but yeah i just there are so many unfortunately so many places out there that still say this is what we're doing but you know actually underneath it's not okay and that i wish i had them to hand actually the the stats around men that put in flexible working requests that get refused the refusal rate on men's is i, I can't remember there's like a 40 percentage point differential or something between men's and women which again is another Kind of indicator of oh yeah we'll allow flexible working but only under you know these parameters although we are going to say it's for everybody oh that is so frustrating isn't it so that's what i love about what you're doing it's making them actually they've got to be transparent when they're filling in the the criteria for you to assess yeah. i guess and match up against the framework so i guess it just makes them a little bit more accountable so absolutely they have to it takes quite a brave organization to do it i think because it's really yeah. exposing so we do data research we do it at three levels of the organization as well so we say what are leadership and hr saying what are line managers seeing hearing and doing and then what's the end experience like and we present that back to them and say this is what it looks like and then this is what your this is the outcome from your um, people data there's there's kind there's nowhere to hide with it obviously we're still quite early days so i'd love to be able to it would be great actually maybe i'll come back in a year or so once we've got more data behind us and see how that's playing out in those conversations because i suspect we're in for some quite tricky conversations with organizations about what the data saying and what you know what they want to do about it not with my lovely ones that are already getting accredited though i'm sure <laughs> Oh no, that's, and, and the ones that are already getting accredited, then I massively applaud them because they're actually putting themselves out there. And we talked about this off the pod, didn't we? When I was talking about jobs for women, we'll speak to companies who'll say they are liking what we're doing, and they'll look at us from the sidelines and be like, "Yeah, great, I want to be inclusive." And then they they might choose not to work with us. So any company that you're accredited that you're doing the accreditation for, I'm like, woo woo. Um, so yeah, definitely come back on the pod and share uh, your data. Um, keep doing what you're doing if people listening want to link up with you what's the where can they find you so find me on linkedin my name is jessica hegren or check out careersafterbabies.org there's plenty of contact forms in there um so yeah it'd be lovely lovely to hear from some of you amazing and i will put your linkedin uh, link in the show notes thank you so much for coming on thanks for having me